and welcome back to Hey Look Listen. My name is Liam Sheehan, joined here by my pal, Kevin O'Carroll. Hi, Liam. How you doing, mate? Great, Kev. This is the third time we have gathered, we've called council to discuss the Resident Evil franchise and possibly maybe our last time for a while. Yeah, I think so. I think we've we've given it a good appraisal. Um, this is I, the last step before finally we can rest. <laughs> I don't want to. I don't want to go. <laughs> I like I can't I think it was like we've done episodes on Resident Evil 1, 2, and 3 and their remakes, and we did episodes on Resident Evil 5 and 6. I like I assume I have my same overall opinions on the entire series that I did back then, but I don't know if my mind is failing me, but I can't really remember my opinions <laughs> about the franchise. But I, yeah, I kind I, of want because I kind of want this to be almost we're talking about the two latest ones, and I kind of want it to be kind of a summation almost as well, you know? Yeah. I think the fair appraisal is that all of the numbered ones are good, except six, which is <laughs> dog shit, and five, which is questionable. I I do I weird enough to I, just talking about like I remember what I said. I do remember going on about how um, Resident Evil three, Resident Evil Code Veronica was supposed to be Resident Evil three and stuff like that. And I've since learned that that's not true. Really? So I was just putting on my mic putting on my big boy podcast pants and just getting information wrong on this podcast and committing it to the internet forever. Buddy, I've passed that information on to people. I've I've, I've probably told you. I've spread your lie. You did tell me. I did. Yeah, apparently I'm not the only one. It's a a big occurrence that people think that. (laughs) I need to apologize to that lady on the bus. She didn't deserve that. (laughs) All right, before... (laughs) Sorry. Before we get on to Resident Evil, Kev, as always, are you playing any video game? Yeah, I thought... um, Because we we covered Silent Hill not too long ago, and I started playing the first Silent Hill then, and I played through it, and my initial impression kind of held through. It just really stands up. It's a really solid game. And then I played the games that we're going to talk about today, Resident Evil 7 and 8. So did I. So did I. I played 7 and 8 in preparation for this, so it's very clear in my memory now. And then after finishing 8 and its DLC, which we'll get onto as well, um, I was like, I want more survival horror. (laughs) Uh, So I had a look on the PS Plus lineup, and I saw that the medium is there. The the Silent Hill-like from Bloober Team, who are now making the remake of Silent Hill 2. The one that I've mentioned before that I'd heard has... You know, questionable writing and some dodgy storytelling, and yep, it does. Really, you've, you've noticed cool. that already. Yeah, um, I'm annoyed with myself for how much I like it because I'd kind of gone into it ready to scoff at it, and yeah, it's actually it's 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 pretty good. It has some good ideas. It does this sort of Silent Hill esque thing where there's you know a real world and a spirit world. But rather than alternating between the two, you may have seen footage for it in trailers and stuff where it displays in split screen. I did and assumed that that was just sort of contrasting the two worlds. But no, when you go into the spirit world bit, your screen literally splits and you're controlling both iterations of the character at once. That's kind of cool. Interesting. A locked door in the real world will manifest as a barrier in the spirit world. And maybe finding the key in the real world to open that will also open the barrier. But you can interact with objects in different ways. Say it's like square to interact with it in the real world or X to interact with it in the spirit world. And by kind of passing information back and forth kind of between the two halves of you, you solve these puzzles to find your way around. And yeah, I mean, the writing is fairly poor, even this early on. Uh, yeah. the, the core design of it is actually pretty solid. 
Because I was very excited when the Silent Hill 2 remake was announced, uh, mainly just because of the fact that it's a new Silent Hill project. Mm-hmm. But uh, I'm a big fan of Silent Hill 2, like I said in that episode. But I've been seeing a lot of um, YouTubers and video essays and whatever going on about how like this game, de- these game developers don't deserve to make Silent Hill. It's essentially a common uh, opinion I'm seeing online. Yeah, I mean, it's like it's 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 a business proposition at the end of the day, isn't it? They've just outsourced it to another studio. I don't know if anyone deserves to make any video game, really. <laughs> I, I like that. <laughs> I think that's kind of that's kind of a flawed approach to looking at it. I think the question is, will they do it justice? And like, yeah, I mean, they have the original story and and you know the outline and the characters of Silent Hill Two already exists and it's already pretty good if they want to stick to that and make like a a next generation version of that they can do it that would probably end up being pretty good if they want to make their own spin on it and write their own stuff i wouldn't hold too much hope for that but i mean at the end of the day nothing they do is going to remove the original silent hill 2 from existence truth yeah you know so even if it's shit, it's not going to take away the original game. I wonder what a hyper hyper realistic Silent Hill Two will look like because I think a lot of the charm of those old uh, that old PS Two game and the PS One game is almost kind of uh, the kind of antiquated graphics not being able to convey things realistically, and that's what kind of added to the strangeness almost. You know? Yeah, I think we we might have spoken about it um, when we recorded. Well, Goddamn, we'll speak about time. it again. But yeah, I think the, a, a big issue that people had with the HD remakes or, or remasters of Silent Hill 2 and 3 was exactly that, that they tried to apply modern graphical standards to the old game. And in doing so, they kind of pushed out the draw distance and pulled back the fog, you know, kind of ruined the, the atmosphere, the ambience of the whole thing. So I'm hoping that um, Bloober Team will learn from those mistakes and, you know, stick a bit closer to the source material. But, uh, you know, I'm not holding my breath either. I'd say I'm more excited for that weird um, Silent Hill set in Japan game that was announced. Yeah, I like. I have no idea what that game is going to be, but that trailer looks fucking great, so I'm on board. It kind of taking Silent Hill out of the titular Midwestern American town is such an odd idea, but fuck it, like I said, this was a, essentially a dead franchise, so I'm just happy that we're getting new things from it. Silent Hill is a state of mind, man. It's probably going to be something along the lines of that, yeah. Or it has a sister city in, in Japan that <laughs> that is also purgatory or something. I don't know. Yeah. yeah. Uh, what about yourself, mate? Are you playing anything at the moment? Nah, Kev. All right, we'll move on. <laughs> no, the, honestly, the only games I've played recently are Resident Evil 7 and 8. So honestly, yeah, we might as well move on. Uh, we might as well get to the, the main event. Do you know what the biggest... Uh, so like I said, I replayed both of them. We're talking about Resident Evil 7 Biohazard which came mm-hmm. out in 2017 mm-hmm. and Resident Evil Village, the eighth installment, which came out in 2021. But I, the main difference about my replay of Resident Evil 7 this time, Kev, <laughs> is that when I first played in 2017, I hadn't played Resident Evil 6. Yes. Now that, <laughs> So I hadn't gone from Resident Evil 6 to Resident Evil 7. And now that I have played with you online and I went back <laughs> to Resident Evil 7, I just want to begin by saying the massive swing it took is even more impressive now that i see what the previous installment was like yeah absolutely i mean we've spoken about this before on the other resi episodes but i mean it is worth reiterating the resident evil franchise after six was in an awful state (laughs) 
like <laughs> the fan base it, six had sold so well and then been so bad that the fan base had been kind of decimated by it. Like I suppose even go back to five with its you know essentially mandatory co-op. Yeah. Um, and its focus on action rather than horror had started no, like to alienate game. fans. I like that game. Yeah. I absolutely like that yeah. game. Mostly because I played a co-op with you. I yeah, can yeah. imagine playing it solo would be a fairly awful experience. Um, and then you move on to the, the the aforementioned dumpster fire that was six. And you essentially, they just dragged the IV's good name through the dirt. Um, and it kind of felt, well, to me at least at the time, it felt like Capcom was going the way of, you know, modern day Konami, where they'd lost interest in actually making video games. Um, yeah, l- luckily it really didn't turn out that way. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. And I feel like a, a big part of why people moved away from Resi around that time is the sort of perceived or well, real shift away from what the games were originally, the sort of the idea of survival horror, that the, the survival part had been replaced with action parts to sometimes great effect, like in four, and then sort of diminishing returns in the, the, the subsequent sequels. And the horror side of it had been replaced with spectacle. You kind of Hollywood, Hollywood blockbuster. Yeah, kind exactly. Of stuff. It had yeah. gone from in that first game where you're locked in this confusing mansion with these slow, shambling zombies. And this sort of this tension to like in six where you're there's a, a guy turns into like a giant meat leopard and starts jumping from trains while you shoot him with a heavy machine gun. <laughs> Resident, Evil, Resident Evil 6 is just too much in all regards. It's like even taking away the horror to action ratio, even just talking if you care about the, the storyline and the characters of Resident Evil 6, mm. you, you think you want to see all these characters interacting in a big epic, but when you get it, it's like. No, we, we like Leon and we like Chris and all these characters. We like seeing them dropped in sit- situations and playing as them. It made me realize that as a kind of connected universe, I don't really want to see these characters interacting. And yeah, so it absolutely. Comes, it's, it's kind of diminishing returns. It's not really as exciting as you think. When you get it in Resident Evil 6, it's just kind of like, uh, okay, this is kind of, <laughs> this is like not very interesting. So the yeah. gumption, the, the balls for them to strip away kind of everything about they're kind of one of their flagship franchises that people will associate with in the seventh um, iteration was really brave. Yeah, yeah absolutely. And, and the way I see it is that there was two kind of things that were weighing the franchise down coming off the back of six. And that for me anyway, was what you've just mentioned there, sort of the, the, the creaking weight of the established canon. And like, have then, you watched any? Have you watched any of those CGI movies? Like, I don't think I could. I, I don't think I, I could be bothered. Like, I think you and I put on a couple of minutes of the start <laughs> of one a few years back while drinking, and even as background noise, we we're like, "This is awful. This needs to go away." Yeah, I'm sure there's Resident Evil fans out there who love them, but I just I've seen like yeah. tips of them, and I, I I don't think I can do it. Yeah, but for me, the the other thing that the the franchise had strayed away from was not just the horror elements, but sort of, uh, I feel like the, the earlier games had a real grounding and kind of drew heavily from sort of established genre horror tropes and ideas, um, for which sure. just made for the sure. horror in the games more effective. Like when I played the first Resident Evil for the first time in the 90s as a kid, I had never seen like Night of the Living Dead. But yeah, I, still knew, I still knew and felt inherently that, you know, this idea of a group of survivors trapped in a house facing down hordes of flesh-eating zombies, that's fucking scary. That works. And same, like, when I played Resident Evil 2 for the first time, 
uh, I had never seen Halloween, but still when Mr. X shows up and he's this sort of slow moving, unstoppable <laughs> force that sort of intrinsically just works because it's pulling from this sort of established horror canon. And, and, and when I, I played Re- when I played Resident Evil 3 Nemesis for the first time, I'd never seen Glengarry Glen Ross. <laughs> but I could at least appreciate the parallels. Yeah, yeah, and his his brass balls. <laughs> um, but then as you move on, like I, I feel like the game strayed further and further away from that. Um, which kind of brings us on to 7 then, because in both regards, it was a real swing back in the other direction. A, yeah, it, as you said, it completely or almost completely disregarded the established franchise. Like it, it does not care who Leon Kennedy is. Um, Albert <laughs> Wesker does not get a mention. You know, there's a and gun it, called the Albert. True, very true. Yeah, yeah. I'm picking you immediately. I apologize. You, you have correctly picked a this, and I, I will agree. <laughs> um, but it also, for me anyway, it, it marks the series' return to that sort of genre horror stuff and it happens to pick out one of my absolute favorite horror genres which is the fucked up family doing fucked up things <laughs> the zombie hicks yeah as, as Kevin uh, Woods would put it the, the zombie redneck torture family um, that's, exactly, that's exactly it yeah so pulling from movies like uh texas chainsaw massacre um rob zombies firefly trilogy um even like uh wes craven's uh, last house on the left technically they're not a family but fuck it it's still the same sort of idea um, and that's one of my absolute favorite like horror tropes. Anytime that shows up in a horror movie, I'm automatically on board. Um, I believe the big movie influence was Evil Dead. Yeah, I, I believe, saw I believe it was that. even written. On, I believe it was even written on a whiteboard when they were mm. kind of at planning stages. Like the word Evil Dead was put up as kind of um, a tone they were aiming for. Yeah, for sure. Um, and and like that definitely fits in as well. Although I I do feel it's more. I don't know Texas Chainsaw E or something, but yeah, it's all good. It's all good stuff. I I, I think um, where it gets where it gets its evil deadness from, especially Evil Dead Two, is the fact that we'll get, we'll get to this. It is really um, grimy, lived in, realistic horror, but it has a kind of um, true, yeah, violent sense and of humor I've, as well, a sense of silliness when it when it when it wants to. Absolutely, and I've I've just remembered that one of the characters does pick up a chainsaw and say groovy. So that's um, yeah, that's just, pretty yeah. on the nose. Yeah. Um, in, in terms of the fucked up family doing fucked up things uh, before I move on from that I was thinking about it coming up to this and I think my first exposure to that sort of genre I think what kind of got me interested in it is seeing the X-Files episode Home way too young you gotta you gotta, you gotta you gotta take this and run now because I've never actually watched X-Files if you can believe it oh shit All right, I know I know we need to start a secondary podcast where we just watch every episode of the X-Files in order. You for the first time and me rewatching, and we discuss it. That's actually a good we, idea. Like, cut, the, we call cut it, this out because I'm, go- I'm going to use that idea. Can we call it the Sex files oh, I mean, absolutely. Can we just do it right now? <laughs> fuck, fuck video games. Video games are for dorks. <laughs> it's 90s TV shows from now on. Yeah. I'm all Duchovny all the time. <laughs> um, but Home is, I think it's in like the four, third or fourth season of X-Files. And it's the only episode in the history of the show that got like the, the TV MA, the mature audience rating. Hmm. Um, it opens with a bunch of rednecks burying a still living newborn. Oh God! Just shoveling dirt on it, and it gets even fucking weirder from there. It's this family of Hicks that um had basically is, 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 is Hicks derogatory? I've said it as well. 
I, I'm, gonna, I'm keeping all this. I'm keeping this panic discussion in. Yeah, it 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 probably is. But in the interest of brevity, let's move on. <laughs> I shouldn't have brought it up to us. <laughs> I should have just powered through. Um, but yeah, it's a it's a sort of fucked up redneck family doing fucked up things sort of story about some guys sort of living in isolation. There's some there's some incest. There's some violence. You know, it's, oh, it's kind of. Stuff. But yeah, seeing that at a young age, I was like, this is fucked up. I like so, this. So did uh, Resident Evil Seven kind of prey on some childhood fears of yours? I think so. Yeah, I think there was a little bit of resonance in that. It um, it definitely worked for me. Well, will we dig into this muck? Will we? Absolutely. Will we go on about what Resident Evil Seven colon Biohazard is? I um, the announcement of Resident Evil Seven was one of my favorite E three moments of all time. Refresh my memory. Because they had completely, like, no one knew this was a Resident Evil game. There oh, a, yes. There was a demo released first called Kitchen. The Kitchen demo, yeah, yeah. Which was just a kind of, um, uh, I would say, almost kind of amnesia, outlast-type horror kind of demo kind of for a game. Kind of very PT, yeah. to, to throw back to our previous um, episode of Very Silent Hill. But, um, and then it was... Uh, a, but people were like, oh, this is this is kind of a demo for a game that's going to be announced at E3. And then the trailer played. And like we said, this thing looks nothing like a Resident Evil game at all. Completely different aesthetic, completely different vibe. And then at the end of the trailer, it just comes up with Resident Evil 7. And the crowd went absolutely ballistic. Yeah. And what I would say to kind of begin the discussion on this game proper is that um, just, you know, just put it right out there. I think it is one of the most genuinely frightening games I've ever played. Oh, absolutely, yeah. Yeah, 100%. Which is not something you th- I can say about Resident Evil 6. No, absolutely it, not. You play as um, a new character, Ethan Winters. And like it's, it's, these two games we're talking about are essentially the Ethan Winters duology, aren't they? They're kind <laughs> yeah. of like um, Resident Evil, or Capcom kind of, like we said, made a clean slate. None of their characters, so they made this new character. And in Resident Evil 7, um, he's sort of... Uh, a an, an audience surrogate, a player surrogate. He doesn't have much personality to him. Because one of the main changes they made to this game that was quite controversial when this started being announced um, in more detail is it's first person. Yeah. It's it's in, in first person perspective, which, you know, I think a young Liam would have found that sacrilegious for um, a Resident Evil game to do that. But it kind of um, colors the entire design philosophy of the entire game. It's designed to be a first person experience. It's designed to be a virtual reality experience as well. Mm-hmm. But what that means is so the setting is um, the Baker house. It's Ethan gets essentially an email from his missing wife. I'm in Dulvey, Louisiana. Come get me. And he arrives at this like rundown hick house. I'm using hick again. Okay, we're rolling with it. <laughs> he arrives at the sick house. And, and it is just one of the most, like I'll credit where credit's due, man. It's just one of the most unpleasant, unnerving, goopy video game settings of all time yeah it's it's yeah. it's it's unsettling to be in which is Absolutely. such an achievement it's such an achievement yeah and the, the baker family are phenomenal horror villains they're they, disgusting they and weird tier. and violent and deranged and they're top like, tier resident they're top tier resident evil monsters and they're just top tier video game enemies of all time yeah. i think uh, jack yeah. and margarita uh, yeah especially yeah i mean i think everything that the game does right is focused on them. Yes. Is that you is that you alluding to the fact that you don't think this game is quite perfect? It's not. It's absolutely not. Um and it's a shame because the bits that they do get right are 
damn near perfect. But um, we can get onto it in a while, maybe. But I think the the back half, the back third, the the quality drops off. We don't we don't really mind spoiling this thing, so um, no. I think I'll, I'll just say now spoilers for both these games because they're they're relatively new in case people wants to play them. Yeah. Especially we'll be talking about the DLC, which is brand new for Resident Evil Eight. But uh, I, I to spoil this, I kind of want to say what makes um, the Baker family um, very scary is that there's like a, a great aspect of horror is always tragedy that they're actually tragic monsters yeah. because they're regular people. They're a regular family who've been infected by this uh, bioweapon, essentially. Don't need to go into too many details about that. So that's kind of why I think they're like one of Resident Evil's most like effective monsters because like, yeah, there's a sadness to it. They're like uh, a regular family who've just been grotesquely transformed. So once you, once you begin the game, you find your wife very quickly and mm-hmm. she starts like transforming into fucking reagan from the exorcist and just coming at you with a trowel and, and it's like this brilliant opening segment and I, I actually should say maybe i'm getting too excited i'm so impressed with um resident evil 7's patience in that opening like 40 minutes oh yeah yeah it's really well paced it, it, it's it's in no rush because what you end up getting with resident evil 7 is a return to a traditional resident evil space that you have to explore yet there's locked doors you've got to get keys but the game is in no rush to get you to that to kind of show its hand and say hey this thing might look completely different it might be in the first person perspective but look this is resident evil one we're returning to our roots but the game is in no rush it spends like an hour of atmospheric pottering about yeah that is very well measured and very effective and that whole that that part ends with a knockout set piece where you find your wife and she's transforming and attacking you. She nails your hand to a wall and comes at you with a chainsaw and chainsaws Ethan's hand off. And it's so violent and visceral and effective. When she first transforms, actually, you uh, she's she was following behind you, but she's not there anymore. And you kind of go back and you look down the stairs and she like crawls up the stairs out of yeah. the darkness. I have nothing but respect and admiration for people out there. And if, if you're one of these people, I salute you who put on a VR headset and played this game. <laughs> yeah. I say it must've been terrifying. I, I say it would have been an amazing, unforgettable experience, but I find this game like immensely unnerving. I, I don't think I could have immersed myself in it in, in, in a VR headset, you know? Yeah. I think now that I know it, I think I could safely true. That, play yeah, it. True. But I think playing it for the first time, no, I, I would have, I would have absolutely bailed out and never gone back. Yeah, so so the whole game is set in this um this Baker estate, and there's there's the main house, there's kind of an old house you go to. I say most of the game is set in that Baker estate, I should say. But I would say, Kev, the the structure of this game is almost like segments of the game are based around one of the Baker families. Yeah. So the first few hours is the Jack Baker show, and Jack Baker, like uh, you, you get captured by the family and you get put into you get tied to a seat and they're they're at a horrible dinner with them it's very reminiscent of uh, texas chainsaw massacre yeah that scene is very <laughs> effective there's a they're trying to force feed you like bits of awful and, and, and margarita is in the background like freaking out it's like he's not eating it oh, he's not yeah. eating it well let's just go through, go through and with jack baker the dad there's marguerite baker the mom and there's lucas break baker the son there's a daughter called Zoe Baker, but she seems seemingly unaffected by whatever's going on here. And she's actually trying to help you escape. And there's also a granny on a rocking chair. Yeah. Who's just placed around the game <laughs> almost in a benign manner. Just she doesn't do anything, but she'll turn a corner and she'll be sitting there. You're like, ah, Jesus, what the fuck? Yeah. <laughs> but like I said, that first few hours is um Jack Baker, and he's 
he is the beginning of modern Resident Evil's um, expanding leitmotif of having hunter characters, hunter enemies in the game. So mm-hmm. Jack Baker is wandering around the house while you're in there trying to solve puzzles and navigate him. And he's extremely effective and scary. He's just a really cool enemy. He like his his dialogues, what things he the things do you know do you know um when you played it recently kev did he chop off your foot no but i did get that the first time actually i thought that was a scripted event until i looked it up online it's it's something it's something that can only be triggered so there's like almost like seemingly random things he can do to you like that was like he chopped off my foot and he makes ethan like crawl towards it I, yeah it, it yeah that's so scripted and when i played the game the first time there's a knockout jump scare oh yeah crashes, she crashes through a wall as you're walking down the corridor and that didn't happen when I played it this time, so there's uh, I don't know how events are triggered, but I'm very impressed that impressed that it's not scripted. Yeah, very impressed. Yeah, because they're they're so effective. The um the the wall burster one, in particular, <laughs> the first time it happened to me, absolutely got me out of my seat. Like I, <laughs> I thought I was being clever. I was trying to run him in a loop and, and leave and leave him behind me, and I went to go down this long corridor, and then all of a sudden within a foot or two of you, just the wall explodes out and there is fucked up old Jack Baker and he's coming for you. And it, it, it's weird because it's such a memorable jump scare that it was lodged in my memory. So I was playing that initial section of that game in anticipation of it happening and it never happened, which is almost worse. Yeah, I kind of wanted to rip that band-aid off, you know? Yeah, I had something similar on my replay where it didn't happen in that first section where you're exploring that mm. wing of the house. But I went back to that side to try and I can't remember what I think I, I had left a, an item in a room or something and I went back there while Jack was still floating about and it happened much later but because it hadn't happened initially I thought I was fine I thought it wouldn't happen and yet when it did happen again got me up out of my seat <laughs> <laughs> there's something so creepy about you see the, the, they're they're infected and they they can regenerate so Jack is seemingly immortal there's something so creepy and just gross about his kind of almost how he, he almost taunts you by injuring himself it's like great body horror like he's very into oh yes yeah. like he's very into just yeah. letting you shoot him in the face and blow off his face just because he knows it'll regenerate he's like yeah. a, i'm just reiterating he's just a great monster and it kind of you fight him a few times during that game he eventually becomes a very traditional blob. <laughs> you said blob with such contempt there it's the most contempt i've ever heard anyone say the word blob but yeah, he, he does. He becomes a big Resident Evil goop monster, but there's a couple of really memorable uh, boss fights with him yeah. um, before then. I think the best one is the first one. It's not a traditional boss fight. Yeah, in the garage. It's not a traditional yeah. boss fight. You're not like um, defeating him properly, but there's a lot of um, options you can do in that. It's a, it's a mad fight in a very cramped garage. And what did yeah. you do, Kev? I jumped into the car and like pinned him against the wall. What did you do? I jumped into the car, but I was too slow and he pulled me out and he got in. I <laughs> cool. That, that didn't happen for me. Yeah, I had to, I had to avoid him. He was spinning donuts in this small garage <laughs> while I was trying to shoot him in through the window. And and like I said, like Resident Evil Seven is genuinely frightening. Like I, that the Baker House is a as a scary space. That's kind of why I um I see the Evil Dead influence because yeah yeah, it's also not afraid to have almost just really over the top stuff like that. Like the the garage fight isn't scary, but it is absolutely just a, a wild ride. You know yeah. But I think the my if I was to single anything out as being super scary about this game, it's actually Marguerite Baker, mm. yeah. the wife, who I said that kind of there's an air of tragedy to these characters that they used to be regular people. And I just feel so sorry for her because she's become just awful bug lady. Yeah. 
and her eventually she you 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 end up um she she has a section of the game in the old house which is a lot of burning wasp nests and doing that and she's hunting around there and she's very um frightening and scary but her boss fight might be one of the best boss fights in resident evil history i think oh yeah absolutely yeah, it's, excellent it's super atmospheric um you're fighting her in this like multi-story greenhouse Yes. And there's like gaps in the walls and in the roofs and she can like spider climb and scurry up and down walls. The lighting is very low, so you can't see more than a couple of feet in front of you at any one time. And you're just constantly on edge trying to figure out which direction she's going to come from. And Re- and Resident Evil always has people transform. Although, I, I, sorry to uh, go back for a second. I, I think one of the reasons why the bakers are so kind of scary as well is because are they the only Resident Evil villains who didn't purposefully inject themselves with some shit? That's what Resident Evil villains always do, and I'm always like, "You really want to become a, like a big goop monster?" They're always like, "Ah, oh, ultimate power!" and they inject themselves with this thing and become a sh- fucking meat shark or something. Yeah, it's a really good point, actually. Yeah, <laughs> the bakers are like um, victims, but um, in terms of people turning into classic Resident Evil goop monsters, Marguerite's design is very restrained. They didn't change her that much. They elongated her limbs in a disgusting way, and they gave her kind of a what is it like a, a nest on her stomach. Yeah, and she's just and and the lighting and the atmosphere of that greenhouse you're fighting her in, and the amount of space you have to work with, you're kind of like she can kind of come at you. She can come through the roof. She can come. She can, there's two floors, so she can crawl up from the floor, floor below. And uh, I I don't think it's super. She killed me a couple of times actually. I don't think it's super difficult, but it is constantly stressful. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Although I'm very, I was very happy this time to know the jump out scare that begins that fight. Cause it absolutely shattered me when I first played it. <laughs> she comes through a window, basically, yeah. to begin the fight. But like, I was like, this time I was like, okay, scout this area for item pickups because I know she's fucking coming through that window in a second. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, the later boss fights in the game are not particularly interesting, but those first couple, the yeah. Jack in the garage, the Jack in the basement, the it's essentially a, a chainsaw duel. He has. He is, has that a, is that a real tool? That couldn't be a real tool. Is that like no, a chainsaw no, no. scissors? It's, yeah, it's a scissors made out of two chainsaws, sort of taped across each other. I'm not a worldly man, Kev. That could have been some kind of work tool I hadn't seen before. I no, I mean, I, I, I guess it's possible. I assume it's not because it just looks like some sort of brutal instrument of death. Yeah, but like I said, the structure of this game is like you know, yeah. There's that Jack section of the game. There's the Marguerite section of the game, and. Before we move on to the Lucas section of the game, The Sun, I will just kind of emphasize that during these first two parts, it, it's the highlight of Resident Evil 7. Mm. And it is sort of a masterpiece. Oh, yeah. It's I just said- that it doesn't keep it going. And I do, I love this game because I, I, I have to go into this with a bit of negativity. I love this game. I want to put that out front. But after you've defeated Marguerite, that's sort of the end of the fantastic Resident Evil 7 biohazard, you know? Yeah, I'd even go a little bit further. I'd say I'd say you can go up until you go into Lucas's area. Oh yeah, actually, good point. Because I I when I defeated Marguerite, which I found very stressful this time, I was like, Oh good, I can relax now. From what I remember, that's the end of the scary. <laughs> I go back into the Baker house, and that was actually probably <laughs> the most frightening part of the game for me. I suppose, which is a good a good opportunity to talk about the non Baker enemies in this game. Yes. Uh mold? Mold, yeah, just sentient mold. Sentient mold. Now, here's the thing. I'm kind of in two minds about these guys because mm-hmm. I do think they're cool. I like the way they're massive bullet sponges. They're kind of 
big and lumbering. I have the, I like the way I have a face full of teeth. Yeah. I think they're not the worst thing in the world, but I kind of don't like enemy designs that are just like there's goop. There's a goop man coming at you. Yeah. They're they're more they're more blobs. They're more blob men. Yeah. And I th- I like they I actually I, look kind of like if the Venom symbiote got on Mr. Blobby. They're a bit like ugly Venom, aren't they? They're a bit ugly Venom, yeah. Because we all know Venom's hot as fuck. Yeah, obviously. Come on, man. And I think Seen it's actually... <laughs> I did see that. <laughs> it's my, it's my. Um, I'm looking at now my wallpaper, but um, it's a big problem with the game because there isn't enough enemy variety with these mold, yeah. and they're kind of like other than the the very creative Baker family, they're the only enemies you're fighting in this game, and um, especially if you shotgun this with its two D, its two main main DLCs, you'll kind of be sick of these guys by the end of Resident Evil Seven, for and sure. It, yeah, and it's such a shame because I think if they I, I, I like their design. I think if they gave it another go, if they did something almost more zombie-like, mm-hmm. they'd have a kind of a take on the classic zombie, but have it like mold sprouting out of them or something. I'm just spitballing here. Yeah. I think I think if those enemies were better, it would just, it, it would make Seven even more terrifying. Yeah. And the thing is that there are, I think, four different enemy types. Yeah. You there's, can hardly there's, tell. Yeah. There's the regular one. There's the sort of the quick one. There's the guy with the, the big fucking arm mm-hmm. and then there's the big sort of bloater type one that's right yeah but because they're all so visually samey yeah the fact that there is that enemy variety doesn't really come across because they all just look like Mr. Blobby with the Venom symbiote <laughs> you're sticking to that yeah that's, that's yeah, yeah. <laughs> but and credit where credit's due they are like in terms of gameplay they're good they're yeah, for sure. because because especially in the early days because they are quite formidable and like I said they're bullet sponges so this is classic survival horror where you don't feel like you're getting enough ammo and these guys can be stressful, especially um, the Baker house has a, uh, a basement that you've got to go down to mm-hmm. a couple of times. And I was genuinely, genuinely stressed going down to that basement um, when I had to because, yeah, there's a lot of them crawling around down there. It's yeah, just, I think there's one like furnace room or something that throws three of them at you at once and it spawns one in behind you when you go in. Yeah, yeah. And that's stressful as hell. Like That was a lot of fun. Like, yeah, but mechanically they're great. I just kind of wish there was like more variety in enemies, and I just kind of, I, yeah, I, I don't love their design in terms of like being a spook, yeah, being a spook monster. But there is like, like I said, I was like, oh, Marguerite's dead. That's the end of the scary, and I completely forgotten this section of the game where you go back into the Baker House to do some puzzles. You need to get two key cards yeah. uh, in rooms you haven't visited before. You, you're coming back in with some new items, new key, and um, yeah, the house has much more of those molded guys running around in it, and there was like a really. <laughs> there was a really like simple but effective moment where you go into this um bedroom and you find a secret entrance down into the basement into a room you haven't been to before and you get the second or you get the first or second card key that you're looking for and i was like fuck i don't want to stay down in this basement i know there's a lot of these fuckers down here a lot of the mold so i'm just going to turn around and go back the other way i'm not going to i'm not going to go back up the stairs like, through the basement and i turned around and i think it was the secret entrance was underneath a bed yeah and the bed had moved back and blocked your way back and i literally went ah fuck <laughs> and it's i kind of smiled as well because it was like that's good that's yeah. that's a simple little if if i'm stressed about going through this basement the game is doing something right you know exactly yeah forcing me to go through it again and it was i had to run through a lot of that because i didn't really have the ammo to be um dealing with the the amount of them so like i said mechanically they're they're cool they are cool but you kind of be sick of them by the end of the game yeah for sure um i think 
a lot of my issues with where seven ends up is there's the promise of something way more interesting. Yeah. So you have, as you said, it's like the the Baker family show when you have a different episode for each member. So you do your your Jack bit and then you go out, you do your Marguerite bit. And then after Marguerite, you get sent back into the house to find more keys. And then you're going off to do your Lucas bit. And what I thought at that point was that the Lucas bit would end with a boss fight against Lucas. And then I'd go back into the house and I'd find more rooms and discover more areas. And then maybe fight the granny or maybe Zoe would turn or something. And it would keep moving through the Baker family, finding more areas around the Baker compound or the Baker estate. You're actually actually describing a game I I would prefer. Yeah. Yeah, exactly. Mm. Um, So when you actually, you go through Lucas's bit, which I think we can get into in a sec, because it is actually pretty good. It is, yeah. It's um, not scary, but it's good. It's not scary, but it is good. Yeah. You get through Lucas's bit, and I was like, okay, so send me back into the house now and show me more. And instead, you just leave. Yeah, it's the end of the Baker house. Yeah, you get on a boat, and you end up uh, the final kind of area of the game, which is a crashed kind of ocean liner, or whatever, kind of a ship. Yeah, yeah. but before we get into that, we talk about the... Lucas's bit because it's kind of um, it's saw it's saw yeah it's like a saw escape room um, yeah and he motherfucker puts bombs in item boxes so you gotta so you gotta waste ammo to break them open because you because if you hit them with your knife like you usually do you might blow up anyway sorry I don't know I had to get that out of my system He's no absolutely and even though I've played it like twice before so three times now I'm still playing through it this third time and still got the wrong boxes <laughs> I like Lucas less. Um, yeah. As a as a character, as an enemy, as a monster, um, I think it's that thing where there is a twist where it turns out he's actually free of the infection, and he's, he's just he's just a psychopath. Yeah, he's just a psychopath, and he has more kind of a plot agency. related, yeah, agency and plot related motivations for what he's doing. But also, yeah, because that takes away the kind of that, that tragic edge that I just like really like about Jack and Marguerite. But um, I also just don't like him because the game designed um, he's designed not to be like he's such a dickhead. Yeah, he's the worst. <laughs> He, yeah, yeah. There's a, there's a cool mechanic in this game, where if you find a videotape and put it into a v, uh, VHS uh, player, um, you play as you play the videotape. So very early on in the game, you find footage of these three assholes who are recording like a YouTube show where they go into haunted houses, and you get to like play. You get to play that kind of um, their kind of uh, descent into the house and. Um, yeah, and that doesn't turn out well for them. And I think that's such a cool mechanic. And yeah. why, why, how that's used in that in that, it's that bit of the game is like when you're playing as them going through the house, you realize that there's a secret switch in the in the fireplace. So that when you go back to playing as Ethan in the main game, now you can investigate that fireplace and find a secret switch, which opens a secret passage. And that's used, that idea is used beautifully in the Lucas section of the game. Yeah, yeah, you play the this happy birthday tape. We're actually playing as the same character again. It's still uh, Is there any character in the Resident Evil franchise who suffered more than Clancy? No, if you if you bring in the the, the, <laughs> the DLC for 7, Clancy has had a very very bad time. Clancy was a cameraman for this YouTube show where they investigate um haunted houses and he doesn't get turned into a goop monster and like that. He's get he gets given to Lucas who essentially makes him play wacky saw games. And for all the horrible shit he goes through that you couldn't play, he ends up burning alive. He's actually accidentally or not sort of the most tragic Resident Evil character in the whole, whole in the whole franchise, and this sort of almost meanest. You know, there's no arc. He's just a yeah, poor t- guy who suffers and then dies. Yeah, it's not an arc. It's just a very sharp <laughs> downward slope. 
but yeah, so basically in the Happy Birthday tape, you play as Clancy, um, and he's in Lucas's sort of Saw-esque uh, escape room puzzle. And you play through the puzzle as Clancy. You eventually figure out the solution, but you find out that the end result of the solution is that you get set on fire, basically. Yeah, he designed Lucas has designed the puzzle that the, to win is to light a, a, a as to put a candle on a birthday cake, which explodes the birthday cake. But to get to that point, you've already had to open a barrel that flooded the room with uh, oil or something. Yeah. So yeah, so the explosion sets the room on fire and kills Clancy. And that puzzle in and of itself is quite fun to work through. Absolutely. Yeah, there's a cool bit where, yeah, where the um, a, a marionette doll grabs clancy and like writes a carves a password into his into his arm with like a a sharp fountain pen yeah yeah it's very good it's really cool really a really like very different fucking feel for a resident evil game this is very like Mm. like i said solved it's it's, it's, i don't know yeah but but like that that initial tape that you mentioned you kind of you take the information that you've gained from watching that and then you go into that area as ethan a short while later and have the opportunity to, you know, get through the puzzle and not get burned alive. Exactly. You've seen Clancy do it and die. So now as Ethan, you can, you have to figure out how to solve the puzzle without burning yourself alive. And I think that's like, that's a really, that's a really cool puzzle. That's mm. a really good bit of design. And it's the, it's the highlight of the latter half of, of seven, I think. Yeah. Um, and then, as we said, after Lucas's bit, you, um, there's the, the blobby Jack fight. Which yeah. Is not super interesting. You don't like that one, no? You're nah, it's it's kind shooting of shooting eyes. Yeah, you kind of you end up knocked down into a lower area pretty quickly, or at least I did, and he's kind of either on the level with you or on kind of a, a platform above you, and he just has like several glowing eyes. It's sort of just hit the weak spot. It's not it's not very interesting um, compared to the sort of the schlocky over the top gore of the two previous jack fight jack fights or the kind of the weird tense scariness of the marguerite fight to then go into a very traditional resi boss fight was a bit of a letdown for sure yeah uh yeah and that's the end of um that's the end of the baker house then then there's a a bit where you can decide are you going to give um a, a serum to your wife mia or to zoe and the canonical one is mia have you ever given it to zoe i did my first playthrough yeah I, was like, just fucking di- I looked on YouTube, she just fucking dies anyway. She just dies almost instantly, yeah. <laughs> Great, I bet you're happy with that choice. I, I don't want to be... I think this is interesting, but is it dramatic to say that I have no idea why you choose Zoe over Mia? Mia's a bitch. <laughs> she is. <laughs> Do you know what? Do you know what? Yeah, she's absolutely lying to you even before she becomes a ghoul. Yeah, yeah she's, she's <laughs> lying to you the whole time, and then she becomes a, a goopy goon, and she hacks off your hand and... Wait, wait, she's infected when she does that, though. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Uh, yeah, so, yeah. Plot, plot, ahoy. That's when Resident Evil gets into its actual plot. And I find that I don't, I don't hate it. Uh, but I find it much less interesting than everything that was going on in the Baker house. And what I will say about it in terms of the overall franchise is that it's so, it's such um, an achievement by Capcom that uh, you have Resident Evil 6, which is the most Resident Evil story ever. That just makes everything gray and bland and you don't care to one game over like a few years later that by the time Resident Evil stuff like Umbrella starts getting like um, uh, alluded to or referenced in the in the final kind of chunk of Resident Evil 7, it feels important again. Yeah. 
it yeah. feels like, oh shit, umbrella. That this is this is cool. So Mia is essentially working for a bunch of wrongins, mm-hmm. and <laughs> they're making a bioweapon who is also a little girl. And I don't love Evelyn, which is I would say that I would say this game. Like I said, you got Jack Baker. Margaret Baker and the Lucas Baker sections, and then the final section of the game is sort of the Evelyn bit. Yeah, and you play as Mia for a big chunk of it because Ethan gets put into a cocoon for a while. Yeah, yeah, that um, that bit really does grind the pacing to a halt because you play through the tanker section as Mia. Yeah. You get to the top of the tanker, you then find a videotape of like Mia's like backstory or super secret backstory. backstory yeah, yeah. <laughs> so you basically you play through the tanker as Mia, then you play through the backstory on the previous version of the tanker as Mia. Yeah. And then you come back and then you play through that section again as present day Mia. And yeah. again, like the bakers are, are behind you. So the only enemies that are popping up are more of these sort of nondescript molded. And yeah. it really, it drops to it. Like it feels like a glacial pace. And it's a shame because the, the environments there good, are yeah. spooky. And there's some good level design as well. Like, I like having to kind of figure out how to get between the floors and stuff like that. It's good. It's good stuff. It's kind of like a Zelda dungeon. Yeah, there's a bit where there's a lift that's stopped between two floors and you can use it to access either the floor above or the floor below. Yeah, small stuff like like you need to grab the fuse out of a door that you've used, thus closing that door, but you needed to put it in an elevator. So you've kind of cut your shortcut back to the elevator. So you need to take that fuse and then go the long way around. Yeah. I, and I you need to, you need to, figure, out, design like you to figure out where the fuse is based on where you'd left it when playing the yeah. flashback as well. Yes, it's, exactly. Yeah. It's good stuff, like, but it's just, it goes on way too long. Yeah. And Evelyn herself, which is, she's the, she's the big MacGuffin. She was a bioweapon being worked on. She was um, the one responsible for infecting the poor Baker family. They found her, this, this ship that you're on crashed. Essentially, she went haywire and killed the crew and turned him into goop. I love saying goop. I'll say goop as I. I don't think when we're talking about other games in the podcast, we won't get opportunities to say goop as much. So I'm just gonna I'm gonna milk it when I'm here. But she, yeah, she crashed. And the Baker family found her, washed up, brought her into her house, and she fucked him up because she was actually a bioweapon and she controls them. But Evelyn is good. It's all good stuff. It's just that she is a trope that's been done and done and done and done. And she's not. The Capcom didn't really find a fresh take on what's essentially long-haired ghost girl. You know. Yeah. And it's so it's so less interesting than Jack and Marguerite Baker and their kind of terrifying body horror. Yeah, for sure. Um, and I mean, skipping ahead through some very uninspired cave sections and the obligatory underground lab. <laughs> I, I love the way they. It's the smallest lab in Resident Evil history, but they get a lab in there, and I'm very proud of them. You have to end. You have to end on a lab. You got to have a lab. <laughs> yeah. Um, but yeah, you push through it all. You end up back in the guest house from the start you go up into the attic and you face off with evelyn and it's definitely the least interesting boss fight in the game let's leave let's leave one one of the cool twists for the end of the game um unspoken in case people play it yeah sounds good but yeah um, and yeah and like yeah and you're, you fight a big massive resident evil final boss it's actually one of the worst resident evil final bosses it's really easy and um yeah it's just the further you get from that Marguerite boss fight, or like, okay, let's say the further you get from that section where you have to go back into the Baker house to get those two key cards, the further the game goes on, it loses its essence. It strays further from what made it good, and it never becomes a bad game, not even close. It remains and remained incredibly exciting the whole way through it. This <laughs> is a modern Resident Evil game we're playing. What a return to form. I, I'll never take that away from it. Yet, it landed on such a good point. And then for its latter half, just kind of 
doesn't understand what makes it, it it's almost like the developers don't, didn't understand what made their game good yeah absolutely yeah and that's that's definitely the takeaway i had as well is that they had it so right for so long and then just couldn't resist and if, it you, up. and if you play the dlc after i'm talking about the main two dlc campaigns one where you play as um everyone's fourth favorite resident evil character chris redfield <laughs> and one day where you play as an unseen baker uncle who um, punches monsters with his fists rather than using guns and eats um, eats insects in order to gain his health. If you include those in the Resident Evil 7 experience, that, ev- that, that takes that idea even further, that the more you play, the further from the core of Resident Evil 7 Biohazard is just kind of lost. And I like the DLCs, they're fun. There's a bit in the Chris one where you're down, like it has very... It's all set in a very bland cave, but there's a bit when you're down in these underground tunnels with just the most mold enemies that the game ever throws at you. Yeah. And I panicked. Yeah. I was running around like a mad... Because you feel powerful as Chris, because he's like, he's Chris Redfield. Yes, yeah. they managed to make me run around. Like There's definitely like red barrels you can shoot to kind of um, take a bunch out at once. But I was like running past them going, oh, I just missed that barrel, but I can't <laughs> go back now. They're after me. And yeah, the, the lived-in pure horror of Resident Evil 7 is completely lost by the time you play the final DLC uh, and which is it, it, plot wise it's to uh, tie up some loose ends with the character Zoe who you decided not to save over your wife if you go for the canonical ending but that has a bit Kev this is the same game with that Marguerite boss fight with Jack Baker hunting you around the Baker house with just this amazing horror there's a bit in that where the character Joe Baker you're playing as opens up a case and there is a robot gauntlet that he puts on and it says power on and then you spend the rest of the game with action music playing as you punch a bunch of molded with a robot arm. Okay. <laughs> did you play it? Actually? I didn't. No, no, I didn't. <laughs> That's I play- what you're missing. <laughs> I-, I played a few of the, because there's a lot of DLC for the game. Yeah. I played the ones that are basically the um, cameraman Clancy torture porn. One of them is excellent. It's like misery. Yeah. Yeah. You, you, your Marguerite has you tied to a bed and she's coming in feeding you food. And when she goes out of the room, you've got to get out of the bed and solve puzzles but the puzzles always lead to you making a noise accidentally. And when you do, you have a minute to put everything back the way it was and get back into bed before Marguerite comes in. And so um, good. I don't like it. I mean, it's, I do like it, but I don't like it. <laughs> it's so, so viscerally tense. It's so good. <laughs> Cause she's just so scary as well. Marguerite. Yeah. She's just a scary monster in the, yeah, I remember reading, like I love misery, the movie and it's very tense <laughs> in the movie as well. But I remember reading misery as a teenager and that bit where he's he sees that she's coming back into the house. If people don't know what misery is, this is not the podcast for that. You're out <laughs> of the loop. Okay. <laughs> but I just remember like that game being an interactive version of what I feel is most one of the most nerve-wracking chapters of a book I've ever read. Uh yeah, that kind of that that affected me. That got me. Yeah, so I think we've um we've we've amply walked through Resident Evil 7. I think the the real takeaway is that it is overall a very, very good game. But about the it's first, an excellent game. about it's an excellent the, game. the first forty percent of it are damn near perfect. Yeah, and it remains like one of the greatest kind of um, return to forms in any long running franchise, but also just a creative kind of pivot as well. Oh, for sure, yeah. It, yeah. And it, it it kind of labeled Resident Evil now for me eternally as a franchise that is not afraid to upend itself and go in a mad direction because this is the second big change like yeah love it or love it whatever like resident evil 4 changed the game back in the day it, it, it ended up eventually leading it into the era of you know being more action over horror yeah. but that that 
that decision to make Resident Evil what it was and the, the, the creative risks they took was amazing. And I think I don't think it's a better game, but I think the creative risks that they took with Resident Evil 7 is equally as impressive. For sure, yeah. Um, I went online before we mm-hmm. did this, this okay. a couple of days ago. I wanted to see what the vibe was, Kev. Okay, a little vibe check. I, and I think it's almost 50-50. I was like, I, this is not like the most comprehensive list I do. I wanted to see what is the consensus? What do people prefer, Resident Evil 7 Biohazard or Resident Evil Village, the eighth one? And uh, I, I, almost 50-50. You know, you kind of, I, I, I found opinions going either way. So like I said earlier on, this is the Ethan Winters duology. This is uh, Resident Evil 8 is a direct sequel to Resident Evil 7. It continues the story of protagonist Ethan Winters and his wife. But... It managed to be a direct sequel to that. It even references Resident Evil 7 a lot in its story. Yet, it's a completely different thing. It's very much its own beast. And I, for, I, for, I for one, find that uh, a good thing. Like, yeah, I'm sure, I'm sure, I'm sure there, it, it's easy to lament the fact that they did this amazing thing with Resident Evil 7. They did this very lived-in, gritty horror, and then immediately turned away from that with, with the next installment. But... I can see the negativity in that, but I'm just, uh, I'm kind of impressed by it. I'm in awe of it. I'm kind of like, wow, like that's, again, very kind of brave design to kind of not just repeat what like worked so well with your with your grand redesign of the franchise. Yeah, exactly. It would have been very easy to sit on their laurels and make something <laughs> similar again. Yeah. And instead, they've made another big weird swing. And this one maybe hasn't landed for as many people, but I is that, is, is, is that what your impression is? Yeah, I think you I, might be right, yeah. I don't know. I think I think it might be 50-50 at best. I think maybe skewing more towards seven. Um, personally, I think I prefer eight. Um, uh, yeah, I didn't want to make a decision yet. Yeah, you don't have to. Really. No, nah, I do. I prefer it as well. And that doesn't take anything away from uh, from seven, obviously. Yeah. I do, I do, I do. And I was talking to a friend of mine about it, and he, he was saying it's the only one of the new modern Resident Evils that he kind of, he think he thought dropped off. And I didn't. Hey. I didn't ask him at what point in the game he thought it dropped off. I. I was just. Like, I was like, that's very interesting because I think it's the only one that doesn't. Yeah, I think it's the most consistent. Is 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 a really kind of easy way to describe it, Kev. That in terms of these um, this new era in Resident Evil Seven, despite its brand new aesthetics, that's completely unique. Seven is carrying the soul of classic Resident Evil One. Yeah, when Resident Evil Village is carrying the soul of Resident Evil Four, the action rebrand. Absolutely, yeah. And I suppose in terms of the, like the re-embracing of horror genres that we were talking about before we spoke about Seven, if Seven is kind of like embracing sort of Texas Chainsaw type vibes, then Eight is kind of like a victory lap through every conceivable <laughs> schlocky B-horror trope. That, like, that's it. That's it. That's exactly it. It's, it's B-movies yeah, is yeah. its main thing. You want werewolves? We got them. Werewolves Vampire- on horses. <laughs> yeah, vampires, you betcha. Yeah. Living dolls, witches, come right down. We got them all. <laughs> and, it is weird as fuck, and it knows it, and I love it. And, and love it or hate it, look, it could, and just comparing the two games, like, whichever aesthetic, whichever style you prefer, like, you have, like I said, really gritty horror of Resident Evil 7, the almost dark fantasy of Resident Evil 8. Yeah. Only one of them consistently keeps the tone it sets for itself, and that's Resident Evil 8. Yeah, absolutely. Seven, yeah. seven strays from the path. Eight is like... Nope, this is what we're doing. Um, okay, you're in the last act of the game. This never been shown uh, um, in any of the previews or any of that. Now you're fighting the Borg from Star Trek. <laughs> this is and it, it's it, it's that commitment to just being 
very silly horror, mm-hmm. but with just so many creative ideas. We complained about the mold being like a kind of a boring enemy and they needed more uh, enemy variation in, in Resident Evil 7. I mean, Resident Evil 8 is gotcha. Resident oh, yeah, Evil 7 sure. just has a slew of ridiculous enemies. One, the, the most iconic central one being, yeah, werewolves, lichens. They're like the main, these werewolves are the zombies of Resident Evil 8. And I think that's just wild. Yeah. And it, it's, it's like, it's, it's funny that, um, Evil Dead was such a, a touch point for the development of Seven, because I think if anything, Eight is the more Sam Raimi e game. Yeah. Yeah. It um it might be a weird comparison, but it, it kind of almost put me in mind of Sam Raimi's recent Doctor Strange movie. Ooh, where it's, controversial! It's just so weird and kind of gross <laughs> and silly, and it knows how weird and gross and silly it is, and it doesn't fucking care. And you're if you're along for the ride, you'll have a damn good time. And if you're not, like, I can completely understand someone bouncing off it, uh, both Doctor Strange and Resi 8, but I'm fully fucking on board. Because almost like what it isn't is, you know, scary. It's tense. There's a lot of tense fights in it, and it has an atmosphere that's all its own. But I can imagine it being jarring or galling almost to kind of Resident Evil's grand return to like true horror in Resident Evil 7. And then Resident Evil 8. Ah, I'm not scared playing this one. Yeah, with one exception. Uh, <laughs> yeah, I think like I just want I just, like I don't want to spoil too much, but I just think if you're a new parent, if anyone's listening who's a new parent, I think you should play Resident Evil 8. I'm just gonna... No, <laughs> absolutely not. I'm just going to leave it at that. And I think what your a... baby, should, your baby should be in the room with you when you play. It. No. <laughs> I beg of you, anyone listening, please disregard that. <laughs> Give it a little bit of time. Oh, uh, anyway, um, plot. <laughs> yeah, it's there. They've got bucket loads of it. I, I'm going to begin this by saying I, I, I think one of the things we kind of did when we were talking about previous Resident Evil games was kind of shit on it as um, an overarching story. And I, I, I think I'm mostly being facetious. I dig Resident Evil's characters and stories. I just don't think it's particularly like good. Yeah. In a traditional sense, but I doesn't mean I don't love it. I love Albert Wesker <laughs> and all the rest. But um, I kind of do like 7 and 8 as a kind of little mini story arc. Yeah. And Ethan in the first game is, like I said, he's almost like it's a first person game. They want you to kind of um, him to be a surrogate for the player. That's the impression I got because he's kind of bland. Yeah. And he kind of reacts weirdly in 7. You almost kind of want him to react like he'd be more terrified to kind of match the real visceral horror. But I think Eight does a really neat trick of managing to make him a real character, and 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 his main motivation. He's a simple character. In the first one in Seven, he's rescuing his wife. But in, in Resident Evil Eight, his character just is Dad is too angry to die. Yeah, <laughs> that's essentially you're rescuing your baby, your newborn baby in this one, who's been kidnapped by a cult and brought to this um, village, uh, the, the titular village, Kev. Mm-hmm. And um, yeah, that's that's Ethan's thing. He just wants to rescue his his daughter Rose, and he will shoot werewolves in the face until he does that. Yeah, I love that. There's there's a throwaway line at the very start where Ethan's like, "Oh, it's been so busy lately. We've moved to this new country. We've had all that military training." <laughs> yeah, 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 yeah. Because Ethan Winters is the first Resident Evil protagonist. Every man in the main series. I haven't played all the spinoffs, but no, in in eight, he's just like yeah, mildly trained military man. So he's he does he he has a whole different vibe. The one way that it kind of it, it, it reminds me of four and I, i'm sure it's an intention thing is the sort of very weird rogues gallery of characters that pop up 
Yeah, well, one of them is quite famous on the internet. Yep, uh, you got your you got your standard nine foot tall vampire mommy. <laughs> I can, I can never, do you know what? <laughs> She's often in my mind, Kev, but I can never say her name. What is it, Lady Demescu? Dimitrescu. 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 Um, she's the iconic one for a reason. Yeah. Like we went on about Jack and Marguerite Baker being one of the best um, Resident Evil monsters. And I think if eight has one that deserves to be in that kind of level of pantheon, it's, oh, it's, sure. uh, it, it's, it's, it's her. She's fantastic. And as yeah. a creature that hunts you around her area as well, I don't think she's scary in the way that Jack is or like Mr. X is in the two remake. With the way a door can suddenly open and she's like, almost like crawling. No, not crawling through, but she's ducking through yeah. the door, almost almost blooming from the doorway. And she's just a massive, imposing frame before he was really effective and really funny. Yeah. Resident Evil 8 makes me, like, 7 makes me, like, makes me have a feeling in the pit of my stomach. Resident Evil 8 makes me laugh a lot. It's it's, it's like that, Um, it's one of those, that kind of horror where you kind of go, huh, and then you start laughing, you know? Yeah. Yeah, for sure. It's, it, because she's so ridiculously unfeasibly tall, she does, <laughs> you know, have to stoop to get in through doorways. And then she has this sort of Freddy Krueger-esque claw hand weapon. Yeah, so yeah, So you yeah. see her, like, stoop into a room, stand up to her full height, and then extend the claw very dramatically. You're like, ah, oh, shit. And it's so, it's so calculated. Capcom knew what they were doing because she has oh, sure. three goth vampire daughters. Who are made of bees. They're made <laughs> Hey, spoilers! They're made of bees. <laughs> so, I, can we talk about the structure of this game? We're kind of yeah. getting ahead of ourselves. I just really wanted to talk about it, didn't I? But um, I love the structure of this game. Uh, I think it might be one of my main reasons why I prefer it over seven. Almost, you know, <laughs> like I might even I like I, I pit pitting their their tones against each other. I I can't decide, Kev. But structurally, I definitely prefer eight, and it has a very gamey structure it has a very kind of there's a central village and there is kind of four what are they called dukes is that what they call them in the game no they're the, the lords lords of the that's right they're the lords of the village and the structure of the game is you begin in the village you go to one of the lords it's the vampire first you come back there's new stuff open to do in the village you go off to the next lord you come back the village is open again and the village is this hub that you return to yep. that you kind of unfurl through the game and it's so satisfying to come back and kind of set, you come back maybe with a new item. You have a crank now, a good old Resident Evil crank. And now you can have a crank. different things in the village. That stuff like pokes my kind of Zelda loving brain. Mm-hmm. It's very Zelda like, all right. Very Zelda like. And it's very, uh, it's very kind of anti <laughs> horror maybe to have just these four ridiculous kind of cartoon villains. But I think they're all great. I yeah. think they made four really cool memorable characters who are very different from each other and they're, they're all good bosses as well and the, the constant backtracking through the village as well it has gives them the opportunity to change like enemy positions and set up new encounters when you come back so you can never be quite comfortable you feel like you know i've definitely cleared out this part of the village then you go fight fight one of the lords you come back and suddenly things have changed it constantly keeps you on your toes a very good part where you get um, a key item you return you return to the village and a bunch of ghouls bust out of a crypt that's one of the changes now that yeah. crypt is open and you get like a, a tablet half a tablet and i'm like yeah i know exactly where that tablet goes i need to backtrack a little bit and then you yep. backtrack and you get there and a massive guy with an axe just jumps down just like i said it's that kind of scared but like immediately laughing like oh fuck <laughs> and then it's like an optional boss fight i love stuff like that Nate. It's, it's so fun like it has such a it has such a playfulness to it i it's so 
telegraphed and so obvious. But you remember the bit where you pick up a photograph and it says, look out the window yeah. on, on it. <laughs> and, yeah. you, and you go over to the other side of the room and you look out the window and, oh, there's a number on the window frame. There's an, oh, but there's also a number on the wall outside and there's another one. If I stand at a certain angle, maybe I can make a, these numbers line up. Ah, <laughs> werewolf is jumping at me. <laughs> he just yeah. spawns right outside the window and goes, blah, essentially. And it's so... It, Cheap almost, but oh, yeah. fuck it. I love it. I love, uh, I love it that sort of thing. It's, it sums it up. It sums up the game, the kind of <laughs> kind of um, the vibe of it, I think. But yeah, going back to um, going back to the bosses, uh, you have Lady Demetresque. Is that her name, Kev? Demetresque, yep. You have, ooh, I'm not going to get this one. Donna Bella Vito. Uh, ben- Beneviento or something, I think it is. I think, I you, yes. I think you absolutely nailed it. You, you were all like, yeah, I think it's. Uh, like, yeah, I think is... actually you'll find it's. Uh... Yeah, no, I, I think it is. But uh, I alluded to not wanting to spoil this part, and I made a joke about um, new parents there. But I do want to spoil it actually. Yeah, go for it. You, you, you have to talk about it. It's the part of this game that um, strips you of your weapons when you get to her place. She lives in a kind of a house, and you go down to her basement. She's a doll maker. Essentially, she talks to um, this creepy possessed doll that might be the furthest thing from classic Resident Evil I've ever seen. <laughs> yeah, it's like a, it's like a Chuck Bride of Chucky type thing. And uh, yeah, it strips you of your weapons for a more puzzle, atmospheric oriented section of the game. Now, I've said this before when we're talking about the genre, Kev. I find that when I'm stripped of my weapons in a survival horror, I actually kind of breathe a sigh of relief because I have less. You, you, you're supposed to feel powerless. Yeah. But I, I'm actually like, no, I have less options open to me now. I have less ability to fuck it up for myself by wasting ammo. Yeah, I no longer <laughs> need, I no longer need to stress about ammo because I don't have any. Exactly. That in saying that. This is an incredibly memorable part of the game. I think probably one of the most um, famous parts of the game. Uh, that culminate. Uh, this puzzles you're solving. It's great. Uh, it's much slower, more atmospheric. There's some good jump out scares of things appear when you open the door. But it culminates in you being chased around the basement by one of Resident Evil's best monster designs. An absolutely horrible, demonic baby. Yeah. And the sound design. Oh, Christ. Yeah, it's absolutely it's fantastic. So disturbing. And I don't think it's like, you're not going to have nightmares about it. I think but some people inc- could. <laughs> I think it is horrific. <laughs> but it is incredibly tense. And what's really great about it, I think, is that I don't, I don't know if this was intentional, but uh, I think the game is so well designed. I actually think it might be. When you're wandering around that bit before the baby comes, mm-hmm. and you're solving the puzzles, you can get into lockers. And I remember thinking, why can I hide? Yeah. I don't like that. And it's actually a really kind of interesting way to uh, foreshadow what's about to happen, that you're going to have to hide around this place because there's going to be something chasing you. And it takes a while for them to uh, pull the switch on that baby coming at you. You're down in that basement for a while solving puzzles before it comes out. So I was like, why, why, why did they give me the option to hide? What am I hiding from? It kind of just puts you on, keeps you on your toes the whole time. Yeah, and it is the Resident Evil enemy or creature design that probably best deserves the word that you've enjoyed using so far today. It is very goopy. It's goopy and slimy and wet. Yeah. And, and it looks like a demon baby. And it's sort of half crying, half laughing. laughing. And you said like the, the sound design of as it's crawling along the floor is sort of its wet paws <laughs> slapping the wood. Jesus, I look like you're fucking gone for it, aren't you? Yeah, no, it's really unpleasant. <laughs> there's, a, there's a bit where if, if you make it far enough through, it, it kind of, it despawns for a second and you proceed into a new area. And you kind of find the fuse you need to reactivate the elevator. And then on your way back, obviously, they plop it straight down in front of you. Yeah, I'm hiding under a bed. You have to, exactly, you have to hide under the, bed, under the bed and watch it sort of slither crawl its way in. 
before you work up the courage to scooch out and run for it. It is awful, and I love it. When I first played this game, um, it didn't kill me, and it <laughs> killed me this time. Oh, it ate me. <laughs> Fun. And it's, uh, it's extremely gross. I actually had never seen the death animation before. Yeah, it's, it's grim, all right. And they, uh, to get ahead of myself, the DLC for this game, uh, which came out like, was it when we were recording it two weeks ago? Maybe? Yeah. It, um, it reuses places in the, in, the, in, mm-hmm. in the main game. So you go back to the castle where Lady Demetrescu is, and it, it reuses that basement. And you know what? They won up the baby. Yeah, it's it's actually somehow <laughs> they did it. <laughs> they reuse that place and they make a scarier basement section. Yeah, it's um because the DLC is so new. I, I don't want to spoil it. Yeah, because I it, it, is, right, it is a very effective bit. But um, yeah, if anyone if anyone listening has played eight and hasn't played the Shadows of Rose campaign for the DLC yet, give it a look. It's um. I thought it was very good. I thought it was really good, yeah. Maybe we can just cover that now. You're right. Maybe we shouldn't talk about Shadows of Rose in too much detail. So for just my quick review, I thought it was really good. The first half of it's like a mini Resident Evil mm-hmm. with, a, with a repurposed castle to explore. And then you get like a knockout uh, middle section that's just um, pure horror and the epitome of that um, wordless kind of thing I'm trying to describe this game as where you're scared, but you're laughing. Yeah. It's a- great. Absolutely. <laughs> Yeah. But it's it's a shame because it's so good that the rest of the DLC can't quite match match it. Yeah, yeah. It um it also it has something that I normally absolutely fucking hate in a game, which mm-hmm. is uh obligatory stealth bits in games that aren't stealth based. Yeah, it was okay though. It was really but, weird. Yeah, it actually it 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 sort of plot and setup wise it earns it, and then mechanically it just kind of works. It's it's really solid but it, this is the thing about that style section is it comes right after that bit that we've decided yeah. not to say and the, the bit that we're not saying is just so much better so we're like why yeah. do the traditional stealth section after you do the really creative thing but since we're not saying it we might as well not talk about it anymore um there's there's two more dukes oh they're not dukes are they they're lords yep um there you go out to a swamp area and you go to a massive factory and the factory is sort of um resident evil 8's uh <laughs> lab almost Kind of the most creative lab you'll ever see in a re- although you do get to a lab in the end of the game. It's only one room though. Yeah. But um I think they're both excellent as well. So like like I said, I think I can imagine like my like my friend saying, I thought I this game fell off, and I never asked him what, what mm-hmm. part he thought. But I can imagine uh after the castle, even very early on, like are, are the are the other locations as good as that castle? I'm like, no, I don't think so. I think that's an early high point. But then again, like the section with the baby is also fantastic. And I don't think it, it just, despite the fact that the swamp and the caves and then the factory maybe aren't as good as what came before, it ain't like Resident Evil 7, where it just feels like a kind of, um, yeah, the spirit of the game has been compromised. It's consistently good and enjoyable and like excellently paced. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I think I could understand if someone took exception with how linear the game becomes towards the end. Now, I mean, it's always linear. You can't like choose to fight the lords in any order or anything like that. But because of the way it drops you back into the village after every after resolving each of the lords, and kind of lets you explore and play around there, and as we said, it, it you know it unlocks new parts of the village for you to explore. You get new key items, you find new enemies. It kind of makes it feel more self-driven and exploratory. Whereas once you've once you cross that bridge to go to the factory, it it is kind of one thing happens and then another and then another until credits, you know. So I can, yeah, I, I can understand someone taking exception to that, but personally, I think it's really solidly paced. 
But I kind of do want to talk about the ending section of the game, and I okay. want to talk about um, the main villain. Uh, what do you think of Mother Miranda, who turns out to be the main villain? Because I think there's a problem where they designed the four lords to be so cool and interesting that they kind of overshadow the main villain. Yeah, I have almost no opinion on Mother Miranda, which I think she is, is... about as resounding of a, a no as I can give. Like, she's basically non-existent. Really, yeah. Well, I think she's functional shorthand for the theme of the game. Okay. Because she is essentially trying to, she's 100 years old or more, and she's essentially trying to resurrect her dead daughter. Mm -hmm. So, like many Resident Evil games, I'm not going to go on that Resident Evil 8 has this, like, astoundingly thematic (laughs) storyline. But it is quite clean that you essentially have a hero who will die for his daughter, he will give anything, and you have a villain who will take anything for their daughter that's just that's that's good that's a little bit more than you know albert wesker made a tyrant in a lab secretly and again love it (laughs) but that's a little bit more going on so although i do agree with you she's not very bland although better resident evil games have had blander main villains like lord sadler in resident evil 8 uh 4 excuse me yeah absolutely i'll give you that don't think he's particularly good but also, uh, Miles Porter for fucking no one cares. She comes back into the DLC as well, and I'm kind of like, ah, go away. Yeah. I actually remember going, ah, go away. We've done you already. <laughs> yeah. But more to that, so she's revealed at the end. Um, and yeah, I, I kind of agree with you, despite what I said there, that she's not like the most interesting thing. But what do you think of everything post Ethan getting his heart ripped out and quote unquote dying, where you're suddenly playing as uh, series heartthrob <laughs> slash slash main character Chris Redfield for a while. Everyone's fourth favorite character, Chris Redfield. Everyone's fourth favorite character because I was first time playing it. I thought it was cool. I thought it was a hype yeah. moment, but I was ready to kind of go, "Uh oh, I'm now Chris," and there's soldier guys with me, and they're saying things like "sit rep," and I'm yeah. kind of, <laughs> I'm kind of like, I don't know. I was like, I'm I'm missing. I I already missed the gothic aesthetic, but yeah. I actually like that bit. Yeah, I um I liked it more the first time around. I yeah, really. had a little less patience for it this time around. Because Liam, I'm not very good at it. <laughs> okay. there's, there's this bit where you're in the middle of the village and you're fighting off wave after wave of enemies and you need to you know, essentially paint these targets yeah, by yeah. sort of pointing a laser at them, but you can't operate your guns while you're operating the laser. And I died loads. And after <laughs> Did you, yeah. And after a while I was just like, Oh, this isn't fun anymore. I wanna go back to the let me go back to the schlocky stuff. I don't like this. But you know the kind of um, ongoing uh, light motif, for lack of a better word, of returning to the village multiple times during the game and mm-hmm. opening it up. I like it. I think it's. I like it as an arc through the whole game that they not only have you return to the village one more time, but it's to um, facilitate a huge action set piece in areas you've been you've been spending the whole game in, and it's almost like you burning the village to the ground, putting yeah. it to rest. You're not literally doing that, but it feels like this place that you've inhabited for the entire 10 or so hours of the game is now going to be blown to shit and it's a good little cherry on top. And I just like how many enemies there are. I know you said you died a lot. Yeah. You're given so much ammo at the start that you feel so powerful. You're Chris Redfield. Great. But I, I think what's great about that is how quickly you realize that there's actually probably more enemies than the a massive amount of ammo you have. So it, it yeah. kind of quickly becomes quite stressful. I, I like that bit. It's not... The high point of Resident Evil Eight by any by any stretch, but I like that. But I, I I I really expected not to. Yeah, I think my fear when it happened the first time around is I was getting sort of flashbacks to Code Veronica. Oh yeah, where you have to fight the main boss as Chris, despite him not really being a main character for most of the game. 
Oh, you thought the game was going to end with them? I was. There was a little part of me that was worried that, like, I was going to f- finish the game out as Chris, and that mm. would feel really fucking cheap. Well, yeah, I'll just talk about that because, like, there was one little plot twist of Resident Evil Seven. I didn't want to spoil just because, just because, why not? But Eight has a cool plot twist at the end of it that actually ties both games together really, really well. Mm. And it actually was there's there was like in Resident Evil Seven, Ethan gets his hand chopped off. He, like I said, I got my foot chopped off when I played it. And he can just pour magic healing water on it and stick it back on. And Capcom never explained that. And for kind of the years between Resident Evil 7 and Resident Evil Village, it was kind of like a meme almost. And I would be perfectly happy if they just went, ah, fuck it, you know. It's a video game, get over it. It's a video, it's a video game, exactly. It's a video game, get over it. This, this man can stick his hand back on because we want him to have two hands for the rest <laughs> of the game, you know. But we also want to chop it off with a chainsaw. I would be satisfied. In saying that, it is cooler that Resident Evil 8 decides to make that a plot point. Uh, Ethan died at the beginning of Resident Evil 7. Jack Baker curb stomped his face in, and he's been kind of um, reformed in the in the in the mold. And the mold is such a like I like the mold as the kind of T virus of these two games, but yeah. it's kind of what it's kind of whatever the writers wanted to be. Yeah, because it effect, it affects certain people differently, and it seems to with Ethan, he's like really good at being affected by mold, so he just got recreated as a mold person, and he's been dead the whole time because it also gives that it, it gives something that like the main Resident Evil games don't have. And actually, I'm not going to say I found it super emotional, but it is in its own kind yeah. of sphere an emotional ending. You get a character who sacrifices himself for his daughter. You've got a character who dies. Ethan Winter gives everything in the end. And that's good. That's good stuff. I yeah. actually, someone who's <laughs> cynical about um, Resident Evil as as a story, I was like, oh shit, good. I can't believe it actually tied the two games together really well and gave a very satisfying ending. And without spoilers, Shadows of Rose, the DLC, really is, feels like a proper ending to the kind of Winter's section of this franchise you know yeah absolutely which is why i'm a little bit baffled that they made the choice they did with the very end of shadows of rose for the, the cutscene there i don't know if you want to go into it but you you want to see more it i don't know i don't know i wanted to see less maybe mm-hmm. i will say that the dlc shadow of rose is set 16 years after the main game so i'm kind of like will, will other resident evil games now be set in the future yeah good question actually a a good point to go on to now i guess is um where what do you see in the future for this franchise because i think uh, i think one of the things i just kind of an almost summation of our three episodes we did on resident evil is that i love classic resident evil games on the ps1 and everything but i'm not saying they're better or worse but i just think the last five years has been so good for this franchise yeah, like from Resident Evil Seven onwards, um, they've been just absolutely nailing it. So I don't know what's next for the main. Like we're getting what well, what I do know what's next. We're getting a remake of Resident Evil Four, mm-hmm. which I would say I was staunchly against. I was always like, it's a masterpiece, it's untouchable. You don't need to remake it. What a waste of time. It's kind of like the Last of Us remake. You know, you don't have to do it. And then one trailer, I was like, oh my god, hook it to my veins. I want it. You saw him. Looks- you saw him parry the chainsaw. <laughs> I did. I saw him parry the chainsaw, and I, I, I think it looks excellent. Yeah. Easily one of my most anticipated games at the moment. But in terms of what what's up with the main franchise, what's going to be Resident Evil Nine? Like my answer is, I don't know. But I I'm at a point where I completely trust Capcom. Yeah, and it's weird because, like, as we said at the top, you know, before Seven. The idea that we would have faith in Capcom, yeah, <laughs> was kind of, would have been a silly notion. But I mean, they're absolutely killing it these days. Like Devil May Cry Five is regarded yeah. 
by fans of that franchise as, as maybe the best one. Uh, Monster Hunter World sold absolute gangbusters. Uh, Monster Hunter Rise did the unthinkable and, you know, made me play a Monster Hunter game. Yeah, I really enjoyed that game. Uh, Street Fighter Six is looking great. Looks really cool. Uh, like we said, the last four Resi releases have been really good. Three of them being excellent, you know? I think Capcom really fell off for me in the kind of PS3, Xbox 360 era mm-hmm. when like Resident Evil 5 and 6 would be coming out and they were making games like kind of with with a Western flavor, like uh, Lost Planet and that one where you're a man on a jetpack that I can't remember what it's called for the yeah. life of me. So it is great that I do think they're one of um, the most exciting, like for a company that's so old and it's sitting on so many classics, they're, um, they're one of the most exciting developers working at the moment. And I don't think I've ever been a bigger Resident Evil fan in my entire life than I am now because I, I got said yeah. before in the podcast, I was quite frightened by Resident Evil when I was a kid. So there were more of my older brother's games. I was Metal Gear Solid and Mario and uh, Zelda were my main loves. So I, I generally now don't think I've ever been a bigger Resident Evil fan. I'm actually thinking of um, I'm thinking of buying figurines. Oh, you absolutely <laughs> should do that, yeah. <laughs> and will it be one of Resident Evil's many hot female characters? Uh, oh, or you know, Jack Baker one is. No, it's Leon. I want Leon. Leon, of course. It is. I, want, <laughs> I want Leon in my room, <laughs> and I'm gonna say, I'm gonna leave that with an air of mystery to it. <laughs> yeah. Okay. So I think we've um we fairly amply covered both games. So I think the yeah. the fair conclusion we can kind of take away from all of this, and that I hope the listeners will take away too, is that we need a new Dino Crisis game as soon as possible. Yeah. I think I should just play Dino Crisis One because I've actually never played it. Really? Yeah. Oh shit! I played, no, I played it. I rented it when I was a kid. I talked about this briefly when I did um, games that deserve sequels. Mm-hmm. Um, people check that episode out. I made it while I had COVID, <laughs> uh, but um, I, I I played it. I re- we rented it back in the day, but I never really put a dent in it. So yeah, I should just play that one. It's like a hidden gem. Yeah, absolutely. Yeah. Did you know? Actually, speaking of previous episodes, Kev, did you know that I uh, last year, almost a year ago. I named Resident Evil 8 as the best game of 2021. I did and, know that. Uh, in a kind of a full stop to this episode, I still stand by that. And I would recommend people play Resident Evil 7 and 8. They're two of the best games of the last five years. And um, if you don't like horror um, games, uh, Jonathan Morrissey, play it anyway. <laughs> they're brilliant. Seriously, they're fantastic. Yeah, especially now that 8 has the um, the third person mode added in the recent DLC. Um, yeah, I think we both yeah, on our, our recent playthroughs played it with that, and it's it's great. Like it 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 removes you a step from what's happening. Obviously, the, yeah. the extra distance kind of reduces the the atmosphere and the horror of it, and makes it feel more video gamey. And that's not necessarily a bad thing; it's just a different thing. But I I personally would recommend anyone who thinks they can stomach it play it in the first person mode the first time around but if you think that would stress you out too much absolutely play the third person mode it's still yeah. a really fucking good game yeah well put options are good like you know 100%, yeah. I, I think if i ever played it again i'd go back to first person i think so i think that's the better way to play it but yeah completely right and with that we will say goodbye uh maybe someday i've talked about resident evil 4 before in this podcast kev i did it on a, one of the episodes but now we've talked about all the main resident evil games except for four yeah so when is the sequ- when is the remake coming out? March, I think tentatively, yeah, March. So oh, let's put a pin on. Maybe we'll we'll cover Resident Evil Four yeah. in, in um yeah. <laughs> maybe, maybe we'll circle back around to it. Who knows? We did Silent Hill last time we were together. Um, 
Last episode was the Jonathan Morrissey episode, uh, the Steam Deck. I love that. Fascinating. That was excellent, actually. Yeah, I fascinating. Yeah. Give a shout out to Morrissey. That was that was great. I he actually, actually almost convinced me, like, yeah, that, yeah, this thing could replace all <laughs> all uh, other consoles. You know. Yeah, I I put in a pre order for the Steam Deck when they first came around, yeah. and then my number came up, but I was like not in a solid place financially, so I was like, uh, I'll just say no and I'll join the queue, and it'll come Oof. back up again. So I did that, and then it came back up, and I was like, ah, no, still not ready. So I'll, I'll, I'll let it go. I'll join the queue again, except there is no queue anymore. So, <laughs> oh, no. So now, <laughs> now I'm just like, ah, do I just buy it? And then I listened to Marcy's episode. I was like, yeah, I should probably just buy one. Yeah, man, it's, so, it sounds um, class. I, I, so yeah. basically, Marcy owes me about 500 bucks is what I'm saying. That's how it works, right? What I was going to say was, you know, not including his episode, which is last week, the last two episodes of this podcast I've recorded have been Silent Hill and Resident Evil. And Christmas is coming, so I'm going to endeavor to try to get an episode about something nice next time. Yeah, exactly. Something nice and fluffy and warm. And in the, mean, for now, in the meantime, oh. keep, keep an eye out for the sex foils. <laughs> we're, we're, wheels are in motion. We're, we're getting our, our 90s TV show podcast ready. It's going to be called The Sex Files or um, Star Trek The Next Penetration. <laughs> Goodbye, everyone. <laughs> Thank you. Goodbye. <laughs> Grand. <laughs> <laughs>